Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. These are such wonderful words, aren't they? They're so honest. Though there is such a thing as false guilt, as as shame, where you're not to blame, where you did nothing wrong but you feel guilty, there is such a thing as real guilt. There's transgressions, he says, where we cross over God's line, where we break his commandment. Sins, uh, the word means we fall short of what he expects. And down in verse 5, our iniquity, the corruption of our hearts. There is such a thing as real guilt. It's ugly and we deserve punishment. And so what good news it is that we can be forgiven. That our transgressions can be removed. That's what forgiven means. Covered so that the Lord does not count them against us. As it says in Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And so he had given a way for the people of the, New, the Old Testament to be forgiven. They would bring a sacrifice. They would confess their sin over that sacrifice. And that sacrifice would pay for their sin and it would be done. Gone. And it's even better for us, isn't it? God has given his own son as our sacrifice. He was forsaken by God, punished by him for us. So our sin is removed. It's covered. The Lord does not count it against us. And who has this blessing? Is it the person who tries hard and and does their best for now on? Now, do you see what it says in verse 10? Who has the Lord's unfailing love? It's the one who trusts in him. No wonder Paul quotes this psalm in Romans 4. He says, To the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly. Their faith, their trust is counted as righteousness. Just as David said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. What wonderful words these are. Just think for a moment, David could have said, blessed is the one whose way is perfect or who does her best or is ahead of of the average. Every other religion is about doing good, isn't it? About earning God's approval. Every other religion is spelt D-O, do. But Christianity, the gospel of Jesus, is not spelt do. No, Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E, done. It's all been done by Jesus for us. And so our sin, well, if we trust in Jesus, our sin is G-O-N-E, 
it is gone. Do you know this? Have you put your trust in this good news? Are you confident that all your transgressions are forgiven? That all your sins are covered? And so are you no longer trying to do? Do you know that it is done by Jesus and so your sin is gone? Well, if you know that, then verse 11, we rejoice in the Lord, don't we? What wonderful words. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. So David says, Do not remain in secret guilt, but always confess your sins. He says in verse 2, Blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. He doesn't mean that we're perfect somehow, that there is no lies in us, that we are pure. No, he goes on to explain what he means. There was a time when there was deceit in him. Verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and so my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There was a time when David kept silent about his sin, and what a curse it was. He wasted away, he groaned. Whether it's a metaphor or he physically was groaning, his guilty conscience weighed heavy upon his heart, upon his mind, even upon his body. And it wasn't just David's hand, his own conscience. Now, verse 4, do you see? Your hand, God's hand, weighed heavy upon him, urging him to acknowledge his sin. Finally. Finally, he came to his senses And no longer denied his sin. No longer tried to hide his sin. Now instead, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. He confessed his sin. So often we like David, aren't we? We keep silent about our sin. We ignore it. Or we try and hide it. Or we deny responsibility. We blame someone else. It's not my fault. Or I was tired. Or the situation was just impossible. Or really society's to blame. We like that one, don't we? Or we even try and make up for our sin without actually admitting it. When we keep silent, our secret guilt weighs heavy upon us, doesn't it? And like a good father, God's hand weighs heavy on us, calling us to acknowledge our sin and to confess. Sometimes we aren't just feeling guilty. It can even be a physical sickness reminding us, reminding us that we need to come back to God. What do we need to do to avoid this? David says, don't be like me, doesn't he? Verse 3 is pretty clear. Don't be silent. Don't deny or hide your sin. In verse 6, he says, Pray to the Lord while he may be found. In other words, don't be slow 
confess while the Lord may be found. For the longer you keep silent, the harder it is to come clean, don't you think? And the day will come when God's forgiveness can no longer be found, either the end of our life on earth or Jesus' return. So he says, verse 9, Do not be stubborn. Don't be like a horse or a mule with no understanding that have to be controlled by a bit and bridle because they just don't get it. No, it would be far better to acknowledge our sin, to confess our sin and be forgiven. Remember the story of the prodigal son? I think he knew his sin, but he was too busy, too busy enjoying wasting his money in wild living. And yet God's hand was heavy upon him, wasn't it? There was a famine in the land. He hit rock bottom and was feeding the pigs. And finally he stopped being silent. He stopped being slow. He stopped being stubborn. And he came to his senses and acknowledged our sin and decided to return home and confess. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men, he was to say. Well, if he came to his senses at last, if he confessed when he wasn't even sure how his father would respond, how much more should we? For we know how our father will respond. One John If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder how do you generally, habitually respond to your sin? Do you ignore it? Do you try and hide it? Do you try to deny it by blaming others? Or do you just get defensive? Why do we need to do that? Wouldn't it be better to trust God's promise and simply acknowledge it and confess it? And perhaps not just a pattern, not just a habit of how you respond to your sin. Maybe you're keeping silent right now. Maybe it is weighing heavy upon you. You've been hiding it, denying it. And you know the blessing of what it is to be forgiven. So why would you hold back? Why not stop being silent? Stop being slow. Stop being stubborn. And confess your sin. And be forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. What wonderful words. Here is a song. For our secret guilt. It's a powerfully personal psalm, isn't it? A psalm where David calls out to God and God calls out to David. A powerfully personal psalm. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. And it's personal for a reason. For sin is personal. For our secret guilt is personal. It's private. And And we often want to keep it that way. Even when we've confessed it to God. Because we want to pretend 
We want to impress other people. And some things are private. It's not helpful to share all our sins with other people. But what happens when we keep all our sin private? What are we saying to one another when we do that? We're not saying, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, are we? Now, instead, we're saying, blessed is the one who does what is right, or at least looks like he's doing what is right. And we either become proud or we simply give up. And we hide it from each other and we end up hiding it from God. This is a a, a personal personal song about secret guilt. That's true. But do you notice that we're reading it? That King David wrote it? That he wanted to share it with us? Why does he want to share it with us? Because verse 6, he wants all to pray to God about our sin. Verse 11, he wants all God's people to rejoice in the Lord because they're forgiven. And so he shares his personal song. He wants us all to know the blessing of forgiveness together. Imagine a church where you don't need to pretend and where we're not trying to impress each other. Imagine a church where you can be real about your own sin and where you can welcome other sinners, and forgive others. I wonder when was the last time you took off your mask, the public face that you showed to others, and actually admitted your sin with someone? When was the last time you confessed your sin to someone? And what if we were even prepared to take the next step? When David kept silent, when he wasted away, when was that? Probably it was many times in his life, but the biggest time he did it, we know, don't we? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and when she got pregnant, he had her husband killed to cover it up. And he he held on to his secret guilt for months. God's hand was heavy upon him, leading him to repentance, but he was stuck. How was it that he went from hiding it, verse 4, to acknowledging it and confessing his sin and being forgiven? How did the Lord bring that about? How did the Lord instruct him and teach him in the way he should go? Well, it was someone. A person came to him, Nathan, who went to him and showed him his sin. And that's not just for a prophet to do. No, it says in Galatians 6, if someone is caught in a sin and will not admit it, then you who live by the Spirit, ordinary Christians, who know your own sin and know your forgiveness, you should restore him gently. Is that the sort of church you want? Is that what you want from your brothers and sisters, for them to do that for you? Is that what you would do for your brother or sister in 
Christ. This is a song for each of our secret guilt. But it's also a song for our church. That we would hold on and live out these wonderful words. In Acts 20, when Paul was saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, he said these words, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. For the last 15 years, many of you have known me throughout that whole time as your pastor. What a great joy and privilege that has been. You know that I've sought to love and care for you and model following Jesus and speak to you about him. But you also know many of my faults. You know my selfishness. You know how I've let you down, how I've hurt you. And there's many other things that probably you don't know. And so it is so wonderful for me, this word of grace. These wonderful words, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. That is so precious to me. I'm so thankful for God's grace to me. And I'm so thankful that as I move on this week, I can commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build each of you For with this word of grace, these wonderful words, you'll know that you don't need to deny your sin or to hide your sin or to pretend, but that you can confess your sin to God and know that you are forgiven. And this word of grace can build you up as a church. For I pray that this word of grace will mean that you can be real with one another. You can forgive one another. And when you need to, you can gently restore one another by speaking about this word of grace. It's no wonder, is it, that this song of David that he shares with us, it's no wonder that it finishes with verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Sing, he says, with joy. It's so sad, isn't it, that at this point we can't rejoice and sing together right now. It's so sad, isn't it, that even when you do get to gather together in church for the months to come, you still won't be able to sing together. But I hope that you can rejoice now in these words. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Let's sing and rejoice in the Lord now.